Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Founded in 1565, St. Augustine is the oldest continuously occupied city in America. It's home to the Fountain of Youth, at least, sort of, and some of the most beautiful Spanish Revival architecture in the country. But there's a dark side to all of that history. Corruption ran rampant in St. Augustine when some people would be unjustly imprisoned on flimsy, sometimes unwarranted charges. The conditions of the St. John County Jail were so inhumane that inmates were referred to as the product. So few people survived the harsh imprisonment that any sentence there was considered a life sentence. Today, the St. Augustine Old City Jail is one of the city's biggest tourist attractions, with tours led by costumed reenactors. They walk the old jail's corridors, recreating what life was like there for inmates. What some people don't realize is that many of the inmates never left. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. A beachfront city on Florida's Atlantic coast, St. Augustine brings in millions of tourists annually to take advantage of the white sand beaches and the unique historic attractions like the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Regular listeners might remember the shadowy figures and disembodied children's laughter of that remarkably haunted place. The city is also home to what some claim is the real Fountain of Youth at the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park. It was rumored to have been discovered by Ponce de Leon in his explorations of Florida's coast in 1513. 150 years ago, while the historic architecture of St. Augustine might have looked similar, the city wasn't a widely known tourist destination like it is today. But one man, Henry Flagler, was about to find the ancient city, as it's nicknamed, and change St. Augustine forever. Flagler co-founded Standard Oil with John D. Rockefeller in 1863 and quickly found himself enormously wealthy. According to the Flagler Museum, when he died in 1913, his estate was worth $100 million, or about $12.5 billion in today's money. In 1878, his wife Mary Flagler was in failing health, suffering from tuberculosis. Doctors ordered them to leave New York City winter and head to warmer climes to help Mary's recovery. The couple headed to Jacksonville, Florida, but Mary did not survive the trip. Soon afterward, Flagler remarried and discovered St. Augustine about 40 miles away. According to Old Town Trolley Tours, he found the area charming and brimming with possibilities, but sorely lacking in accommodations. 
Flagler began to invest in real estate, including constructing a luxury hotel that would be a beacon to wealthy travelers. Now part of Flagler College, the Ponce de Leon Hotel was constructed in 1888. It was designed to attract rich and famous guests looking for a warm weather escape. The 540-room hotel was designed in the Spanish Revival by the same architectural firm that shortly afterwards would design the New York Public Library. With the help of Flagler's friend Thomas Edison, the hotel was one of the first in America to be built hardwired for electricity. Lewis Comfort Tiffany and his company Tiffany Company handled the interior design. Murals inside were painted by George Maynard, who later painted murals inside the Library of Congress. Everything was perfect, except one thing. Directly across the street from the Ponce de Leon Hotel was the St. John County Jail, and it simply would not do to have that be the most prominent thing Flagler's well-heeled clientele would see from his marquee establishment. But billionaires, as you might guess, have an easy way of solving problems. Flagler got the prison moved with one flex of his checkbook. He donated $10,000 to the St. John County Commissioners to build a new jail far out of sight of his hotel. According to Visit St. Augustine, Flagler wanted to ensure a safe and pleasant environment for his patrons by creating a secure fortress to house criminals. It was important to Flagler that the exterior appearance of this fortress wouldn't disrupt the majestic atmosphere of the ancient city. To accomplish this, it was designed with a Romanesque revival style that gave it the distinct appearance of a Victorian house without interior comfort and charm. It was almost unrecognizable as a jail apart from the barred windows. The architect's PJ Polly Jail Company would go on to design Alcatraz shortly after. The St. John County Jail was designed to hold 72 male and 12 female inmates. The two-story prison had a northern wing which housed the general population, a maximum security area, a women's area, and a kitchen. The southern wing had an office for the sheriff and living quarters for his family. In fact, the building was so appealing that people would go there, assuming it was a hotel, and asking for a room. It was a nice-looking jail, but what was going on inside was horrific. Dana St. Clair, director of the St. Augustine 450th Commission, told the St. Augustine Record. According to Anne Colby, author of Wicked St. Augustine, when Pedro Menendez de Aviles founded St. Augustine in 1565, his new world survival kit included gambling, liquor, and ladies for hire. For the next 400 years, these three industries were vital in keeping the city financially afloat. The illicit activities, sometimes illegal and sometimes just thought of as socially unacceptable, were carried out right under the noses of local law enforcement and politicians. After all, those people were regular participants. They patronized the illegal gambling parlors and drank at the speakeasies, even though, you know, prohibition. As Colby told the St. Augustine Record, there were a number of arrests, but very few convictions for either prostitution or running a brothel, because all of the law enforcement, all of the judges, most of the city council members, they were all customers. That corruption went a lot further, all the way through how the prison was run. Some of the prison's population, to be sure, deserved to be there. Sim Jackson was hanged in 1908 for murdering his wife with a straight razor. Charlie Powell was hanged in 1910 for killing a man for spreading rumors about his wife but some definitely did not deserve to be incarcerated. St. Clair added, people were rounded up on trumped up charges like loitering and intoxication, and in those days, when you were rounded up, it was pretty much a death sentence. Gina Kish, history teller for the old jail, told St. Augustine Register that some of the women imprisoned had committed no crime at all. They would drag women of low reputation down here, so if you didn't have a good family name or a husband, you could be thrown in jail, she said. 
Inside its walls, conditions were unlivable. Overcrowded cells allowed disease to run rampant and high tensions led to vicious violence between prisoners. As ghosts and gravestones described, by today's standards, these cells would be considered unlivable for humans. No blankets or pillows were provided and the mattresses, stuffed with Spanish moss, were often infested with red bugs. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the site continues, the old jail had no bathing facilities or sanitation for human waste, which meant the inmates were not able to bathe and there was a stench that could not be eliminated. If the men's conditions were bad, the women's conditions were worse. There were six women to a cell that was only designed to hold four and none of the women's cells had electricity or running water. The only bathroom facilities the women had access to were buckets. The men's cells got plumbing in 1914, but the women never did. As ghosts and gravestones described, maximum security housed the most dangerous prisoners held at the jail and included a death row cell for those condemned to die. The maximum security cells located in the back of the building were equipped with stockades, a torture cage, and a clear view of the execution area. The solitary confinement cell had no bed at all. Every inmate was required to work. Men were leased out to local farms to work in the fields in a money-making scheme to enrich the county and worked in terrible conditions. They were transported to the farms in cages, working in chain gangs, their ankles shackled together the entire time. As Kish described, they weren't working with the proper equipment and sometimes didn't even have shoes. The men would often return from the fields bleeding from wounds inflicted by their manacles. It was more extreme than harsh, St. Clair said. Those who were too infirm to endure hard labor, even by the harshest standard, were permitted to work in the prison garden. Women were required to cook and clean for the male prisoners and for the sheriff's family. They were like prison maids, Kish said. It was a dark, dirty place. On average, prisoners only stayed alive about two years in these conditions. The only time a doctor came was on hanging days, Kish said. The death rate was so notorious, and an unrecorded number of people have died here. Inmates would succumb to illness or malnutrition, be killed by violent means, or be executed for their crimes. You might guess that not all of them deserve that punishment, and you would be right. One man in particular was executed, although he was essentially proven innocent. Jim Kirby and Robert Lee were accused of murder, and both were convicted and hanged in 1901. Even though Kirby was adamant that Lee had nothing to do with the crime, he was not exonerated. According to an article from the St. Augustine Record, on the day of the hanging, Lee said, They are hanging an innocent man, as God is my judge, and knowing that I must face him, innocent or guilty, in a few minutes, I am innocent. In the same article, Kirby said, I have tried to save Lee but failed, but you can state that he knew nothing of the affair until it was over. A total of eight men were hanged for their crimes in the prison. Such huge crowds would gather for hangings that people would climb telephone poles to get a better view. The jail closed in 1953 after 62 years of mistreating prisoners, throughout which it was given multiple citations for its conditions. Today, it's one of the most popular tourist attractions in the city and one of the most haunted places in America. Paranormal investigators travel from thousands of miles away to take ghost tours of the jail and to try to communicate with spirits of the inmates. As Kish told the St. Augustine Register, staff and visitors have experienced paranormal activity in the jail. Various people have seen various things throughout the day, she said. People report being touched and grabbed to the point where a person will leave bruised. They also report smelling sewage smells or sickly sweet aromas, neither of which have been present for more than 70 years. A common paranormal sighting is the crawler, a shadow figure that crawls on the floor in the cell block. 
Visitors commonly report being touched by something cold or feeling as though something is tugging at their hair. Another frequent occurrence is hearing men in chains. According to Ghosts and Gravestones, one of the many complaints to those living close to the old jail is the frequent sounds of footsteps walking inside. Loud, clunky noises indicate that these footsteps belong to the disembodied souls of the criminals that once lived and died there. Guests touring the facility have also reported this phenomenon. People also report hearing phantom dogs barking. Maybe most haunting are the sounds of lingering suffering. As Ghost and Gravestone says, there are many reports of wailing, moaning sounds coming from the maximum security and solitary confinement areas, and some visitors have even reported hearing the voice of a little girl coming from the sheriff's quarters. Others have heard someone whistling at them, and several guests have reported hearing a dastardly laugh in one of the women's cells. Another spot that's reported to be particularly haunted, according to Old City Ghosts, is the solitary cell. Folks are challenged to stay in the cell and sit alone in the far left corner. Many have claimed to have seen a shadowy figure lurk toward them, a sort of shade that scurries and tries to tear at them. Everyone who has taken the test has attested to the experience, and the few that somehow left disappointed later claim to have uncovered scratch marks on their belly the very next day. Well, on that note, up next, we'll be talking with Stephen Mitchell. Stephen was the director and manager of the old St. Augustine Jail for many, many years, and you may recognize him from our episode of Kindred Spirits filmed there, as well as one of the first ever episodes of Ghost Hunters many moons ago. He has got some stories to tell and a lot of paranormal history to share. So that is coming up after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I am now joined by Stephen Mitchell, and you might be familiar with Stephen if you watched our episode uh, at the Old City Jail uh, of Kindred Spirits, and he was also uh, the client for the episode of Ghost Hunters that happened there so, so long ago. So welcome, Stephen. Hi, Amy. Um, now, what was, now I know you've moved on to a different position within the same company, um, and so you're not at the jail any longer, but you spent many, many years there. What was your uh, capacity at the jail? The time that a lot of this was happening, I was I was running our daytime museum operations and overseeing our ghosts and gravestones operations at night. Um, so I, I got I got all sorts of exposure to uh, to all of the varied energies that that take place in there day and night. Yeah, you know, it's something people always ask. They're like, you know, do hauntings only happen at night? Why do you investigate at night? And uh, the jail's kind of a great example of that, just because 
Uh, you know, we we tend to investigate at night only because locations are a lot quieter. Uh, and especially like in a high traffic area, like where the jail is, there's less cars outside. There's uh, clearly less people. Um, sometimes light anomalies are more apparent in the dark. Uh, but the jail is unique because people do have experiences day or night. And I kind of sometimes wonder if people might be having experiences when they're touring during the day and not even realize it. You know, I'll be honest. I, I think that, I think that a lot of people realize it, but a lot of people come to that, that moment, that threshold of questioning themselves, you know, is my imagination getting away from me? Uh, did I really see that or am I crazy? Uh, yeah. and, and there, there, the, the moment that really has always surprised me is when it's easier for somebody to convince themselves that they had a momentary lapse of sanity, that, mm -hmm. that it's easier to believe that, oh, no, no it's okay. I'm insane. I'm insane. <laughs> that couldn't have actually happened. And, and, and they, they're able to shrug it off that way and, and walk away. It's easier for them to confront that than to think for a moment that something out of the ordinary, something paranormal just interacted with them in the same space. Isn't that so funny? And then I, I meet people on the opposite end of the spectrum who are probably having some something medical going on, but insist that it's paranormal. <laughs> so <laughs> The curtain moved, the curtain moved. Air conditioning kicked on. No, it's a ghost, I swear. <laughs> yes. Now, when did you know the jail was haunted? When did you just go, okay, there is something going on here? Oh, boy. What it, I, I have to, I have to say, I don't know that there's a singular defining moment. Um, I know that I was already accepting of the idea, uh, at the, at the time that I was working at the jail and, and my, my first experience probably was more subtle. Uh, my first interaction with the energy was, was probably something that, that I, I shrugged off or, or dismissed as, as a momentary uh, uh, I, I don't know what that was, but, but I'm not, I'm not bothered by it. Um, right. the first, the first time that, that I think something happened that I, I couldn't explain through any other means was, was, uh, the brief glimpse of a full on apparition, um, a person that was there that shouldn't have been there, that, that was suddenly not there in, in a millisecond. And, and just, just that brief little moment in time, uh, I, I knew that I wasn't alone in the building. Right. And so, yeah, when you see something like that and you're supposedly alone, uh, and you actually see it kind of manifest and then disappear, like that obviously catches you off guard. Um, but I know you've had some pretty major experiences and especially that one experience you had on the staircase, which I think was kind of a one-off happening, but can you describe what happened in that moment? Yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely, a, a pretty intense moment, uh, coming up the staircase, heading up to the second floor and, uh, and feeling, feeling something stop me, feeling a hand, uh, right pressed up against my chest feeling it push me mm. back and and realizing that i've got to move my feet because something's going to move me and and if i if i don't back down uh i and i i got pushed right down those stairs that was kind of one of those moments that i uh i i really had to question 
why am I still here? <laughs> yeah, why am I still working here? But it also doesn't sound like that was a regular occurrence. You know, what what were you feeling in that moment? Did you, was there like a different vibe than usual? Like, why do you think that happened? I know it was a very long time ago, but why do you think that happened on that day? I can't explain why that happened any more than, but what I, what I can say is the, the number of thoughts that, that went through my rational mind as I, as I tried to figure out what, how, why, and, and realizing this, yes, this is the first time and maybe the only time anything like that would ever happen, uh, in that building to a person, it's not the first time it's happened. You know, I, I'd been in there with a, with a school group to see a cell door heavier than all of us put together, just suddenly move itself shut. I've mm. been in there and I, I've seen the ball and chain just start swinging against the hook. I've, I've been in there. I've seen things move. I've seen things physically interacted with, with something that couldn't be seen by the naked eye. And this time I was the door. I was the ball and chain. I was, I was the thing that it interacted with. Well, thankfully that wasn't a regular occurrence. <laughs> you know, that's one of those things where people ask me about physical, uh, like touching a lot. Like, you know, if, if something pushes you or shoves you or, you know, now if that happens all the time, that's one thing. But I, I do theorize that sometimes spirits don't necessarily know their own strength sometimes or you know as we say they kind of overshoot the basket like they're trying to get your attention and it results in something a little more physical than maybe they intended and so that could go a couple of ways they could go oh no look what i just almost did and it never happens again or if you have you know something that's a little more malicious it could be like oh look what i could do you know <laughs> and so it doesn't sound like it was the latter in your case thankfully yeah i I, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know how many energies, how many independent energies, how many conscious energies or, or subconscious energies, uh, whether they be ripple effects, whatever, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I've not gotten an opportunity to sit down with all of them and have <laughs> rational conversations. Uh, with <laughs> that would make my job a lot easier if we could. <laughs> now so now you're obviously not the only one having experiences there and so um i've talked to you about this before but i always i always find it interesting that when you go to that jail it is such a tourist attraction and it is like i don't want to say cheesy but it is kind of like one of those old school kind of roadside attractions like you go and there's, a, you know, you guys are serving ice cream. You know, our personal favorite is the giant upside down alligator you can take a picture next to, um, you know, and and it's just got this really kind of, um, you know, fun vibe. And then you go inside and you hear these horrific stories of what inmates endured uh, and 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 what they um you know, the conditions that they were living in. And, you know, you see how small the cells are and you hear how many people are actually packed in there. And it's just such an interesting dichotomy of energy. Um, and and so do you, do you think that that does something 
to the space in a way? Do you think that the building is kind of affected by that? Or or do you think that like things change depending on what's happening, like the daytime activities versus the nighttime? I will say that I, I've got I've got my fair share of theories. Mm-hmm. Um I think that I think that human empathy still plays a huge part in there. I think that I think that the the energy that was that was released into that building, uh, the the sorts of uh, things that that seeped into the walls and the floors, you know, that will never go away. I think that I think that they they can be revived and refreshed with that empathy mm-hmm. when somebody like you walks into that space and and feels that and and sees that. I think that 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 does play an interactive role in in what still takes place in there um and i think that that happens when somebody like you sees the size of those cells sees the nature of the beds in which they slept and makes those realizations i completely agree and you know it's uh i do think that sometimes i I think sometimes energy and activity isn't necessarily a, a person per se or their consciousness but it's almost just like the buildup of maybe tragedy or turmoil that happened and i think the perfect example of that is when you go into solitary confinement there uh you know when when we took chip coffee there our psychic medium you know we didn't want him to see that he was walking into a jail all he knew was he was in florida and he was in saint augustine he probably thought he was going to the lighthouse or something but um you know, the way that we uh, work around that is we bring him to places blindfolded. And I think probably the most guilty I've ever felt was when we brought him there blindfolded and sat him right down into solitary and he had no idea where he was. And he just completely became overwhelmed with emotion to the point that I was crying just looking at him. And I kept asking, like, do you want me to get you? Are you ready? And he wanted to keep feeling it and try to get more information. But it was so hard to watch. And so do other people, not just psychics, but do other people go into solitary and and feel that as well? Yeah, people who have never really been in tune with their own responses in that regard come to moments of understanding uh, in that building. And, And one of the most frequent areas where that happens is when they get too close to solitary confinement mm-hmm. um you know it's the, by the way for for anybody who who has seen the show uh, uh I, I i can tell you firsthand that that yes uh poor sweet lovable wonderful chip and he's such a great guy um i i, I watched you lead him uh well I watched him get led across the property blindfolded. He had no idea where he was. He, I, I, I watched this happen. Uh, and, and yes, uh, his response was real. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't something that, that I didn't see coming. Um, and I, I, I also felt that guilt. I felt, I felt really, really terrible for, for the poor guy. And, um, a lot of people have, have that response in there. A lot of people will will feel a sense of heartbreak or or start crying for no reason, um, become overwhelmed uh, in in a way that 
sometimes manifests itself physically where they, they start to feel dizzy, lightheaded. Suddenly it's too much. I have to sit down. I, I can't keep going. Um, and it happens very frequently right around that cell. I could see that. And then you said, um, I think I remember you telling me a story once about solitary, like a group seeing something or experiencing something. What can, what can people experience near solitary? Thank you for asking me about that. That is one of my favorite stories. So I used to, I used to have to, uh, hire these, these people who would, who'd come in and, you know, they're, they're going to tell stories for a living. They're going to play cops and robbers for a living. And, and you pointed out, by the way, the, the tone, the atmosphere there at the property, uh, it has to be set up in a way to where people can find what they're looking for and only what they're looking for. If you want to find the, the truth in the building, you will through the presentation. But if you're there with your family and you just want to, you know, play cops and robbers and take a few fun pictures, you can do that too. Um, and, and this poor, sweet young guy, uh, just, just started his new job at the old jail as a storyteller dressed as a prisoner. Uh, he was having a great time with it, but he did not believe in the paranormal, did not believe in ghosts. Uh, uh, he, he knows of course that we're making it all up, which is perfectly fine with them and the rest of us shrug our shoulders uh this happens to so many of them for the first time when they have their first experience but with him he was in the middle of telling the story right next to solitary confinement he's got this very eager very interested group listening to him and he was he was at, he was very good at what he did uh, he's telling his story and they're taking pictures of everything and one woman in the group suddenly gasps and then the person next to her looks at her camera and gasps too. And then everybody starts gathering around, get away from that cell, get away from that cell. They told him, you've got to come here and see this. And he came over and there she'd gotten a perfect picture of an arm reaching out from solitary confinement right towards his shoulder. Oh, <laughs> he bolted and the group bolted right behind him. Uh, I, I got a call. He came downstairs, um, you know, tried tried to calm uh, the group down. They were trying to calm the tour guide down. Uh, he left. He went home. <laughs> uh, again, super nice gun. Uh, he was great at what he did. But, you know, they have their first encounter in, in that place. And, and for some of them, it's just, it's too much. It's too much to bear to, to have that much reality put right in front of you. Yeah, we've had, I mean, we've had a few experiences with crew members on various shows where the same kind of thing happens, where they have their first kind of real experience. Like they come in thinking that everything we're doing, oh, it's just for TV. Oh, I'm sure they're faking it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. Whatever. And then they have their first real experience and it becomes a whole other world to them. <laughs> so, but I, I do think it makes you think though, beyond what we know. And I think, I think it's a, it's a big moment because it suddenly makes you kind of look at your whole reality differently. You know, you start having thoughts of like your own mortality, the afterlife, like what is the paranormal? And so it just, once you have that experience, there's really no turning back. Although I have seen people over time convince themselves, you know, something else happened or whatever, but because it becomes too much, but, uh, Many times it just opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. Uh, and to a lot of people, those possibilities are terrifying. Yeah. One of my favorite moments uh, with uh, 
with the team there. Uh, and this, this, this would be a lot of people's first encounter with an energy that was something that they couldn't explain right away. Uh, would be at the end of the day, and they'd be sitting at the bottom of the stairs, listening very carefully, waiting for the last tourist to walk out of the building because the upstairs portion, we let them explore on their own. And then they leave, and we hear the door open and close. Last tour of the day, you know, the last few people take their time with their pictures. What will sometimes happen is we'll be sitting there waiting, you know, for, for a half hour or longer, just hearing the conversation thinking, what could be taking them so long? Why why are they spending so much time upstairs? The tour itself wasn't this long. And then finally, somebody gets brave and goes up the stairs quietly and looks around and hear the conversation. We can still hear it, except there's nobody up there. <laughs> and in that moment, at <laughs> that moment, you usually see the guide come running right back down the stairs. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That is always so disconcerting when you hear like full movement, things happening, and you're just you assume someone is there, and when there isn't, it's just your whole body kind of just turns cold. You're like, "What did I just experience?" Um, now, another thing that I know is seen frequently in the jail, and I have a theory on these, um, but maybe you can describe how. Um, what people experience when they see this thing. Now, I understand you guys have a crawler. So, what is the crawler? So, so what it what it is, what what people experience, what they what they see or interact with, is something so pitch black that when all the lights are out, when there's nothing but night, when you can't even see your own hand in front of your face, you can still see this darkness because it is so black that it seems to it's it's like it's absorbing any light that 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 could possibly illuminate it and, and turning it into into something darker than the shadows it's uh it almost looks human mm-hmm. it almost like a almost like it it's mimicking though it 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 moves across the floor. It moves up the wall. It moves across the bars on the cell block in a way that's not natural. But when people encounter it for the first time, of course, it's wildly unnerving. They're absolutely terrified. It's it's something that's coming for me. Uh, I've seen this in movies. Oh, my God. Um, except I don't think it's conscious. I think that it's, I think it's the remnants of the human experience in there. So I have a theory on the crawlers and I, I agree with you. I, I see them and, and we tend to see them in more like institutional type places where there was a lot of misery, <laughs> if for lack of a better word, um, you know, off the top of my head, like obviously the, the one that is at the jail, which I saw when we were there. Um, Waverly Hills has reported one before. Um, Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum has reported one. Um, I saw one at the Odd Fellows uh, Complex or Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri. So it's always these places 
that were institutional in some way and just had a lot of emotional turmoil. And so I do agree it's some weird manifestation of that. And I almost think paranormal investigations or interest in the paranormal kind of feeds it a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely think so. And that that goes along with my theory about the the human empathy interacting with the energies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think when you go looking for it, if it's if it's there, you're already kind of stirring the pot. Right, right. And so I do like I feel like the jail definitely shifted. Um, they do do investigations there now. Like I know whenever we do strange escapes in St. Augustine, we always have like a little add on investigation that people can do at the jail. And um, it seems like they're approaching the uh, the investigations with a lot of empathy and sympathy, which I think is great. Like they, you know, focus on like, hey, we're hearing your stories. We know, you know, we are not passing judgment on you because you are in jail. And and it seems like it gets a lot of responses. So do you think that um, the energy has kind of changed over the years when it became kind of more of a, a situation where you were kind of shedding light on the situation um, as opposed to maybe like when it first opened, it might have seemed more of like a kind of a morbid fascination, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, when it first opened, it was it was it was not about the these are the atrocities of our past because it opened only a year after it closed as a jail. Right. As a, as one of Florida's roadside attractions. You know, the the stories that we tell now are really to pay homage to, you know, the 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 part in history that this building played. Uh-huh. I do know that the energy has changed in there. Uh I don't know I don't know how much it's changed. Right. And I don't know the why. Because yeah. I also don't know how much of the energy in there is conscious. I don't know how many of the energies in there were actually people that maybe, you know, they were they were judged so harshly in life, perhaps for even things they didn't do, you know, to to move on from here to their final judgment might be more than they can bear and, and to to consider the mentality of the time. So I'm not sure how the energy has changed or why uh i know that i know that it has changed a lot uh and i i believe that the empathy and the reasons for probing have something to do with that and i'm not really sure how much of the energy in there is conscious right now that um brings up an interesting point and and that's kind of your role at the jail now you were there for a number of years um I almost felt like you had kind of a, a a a really great relationship with the building. Like I know during um during our kind of reveal at the end of Kindred there, uh we played some EVPs for you and you got visibly emotional. Like there were tears in your eyes when you heard those voices. And so I know you were attached to that building. How does it feel to not be there now? And then do you think that they miss you? No, I don't think they miss me at all. I, uh, I, I mean, that's sweet, but <laughs> I think you never uh, know. I it <laughs> true, true. I, I think I was, I, I think I was definitely more invested in their stories though than they were in mine. Right. Um, and so, uh, uh, 
so so yeah the uh, i'll say this about about the investigation that that you and the crew did you and adam um you i i've worked with several paranormal groups i've worked with uh, a few of the tv shows that have, have come in there i've worked with uh i've worked with most of them actually uh during my tenure but when you when you came in you you approached it from from a sense of sincerity that i'd not yet seen uh in fact i did not yet experienced a, a group come in and be as uh honest and and forthright about the investigation if, if you'd come in and done the investigation and found nothing uh it would have been a very boring episode but you <laughs> wouldn't have fabricated anything you would no, <laughs> never no no and i in 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 that amount of honesty was was something that i was unfamiliar with with uh paranormal groups especially from the from the we're, we're producing something for commercial consumption uh, i i appreciated that i valued that and and as a result i think you came up with more than anybody else had before um mm -hmm. the uh uh the sincerity at which you approached the stories and 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 uncovered voices that that had previously been quiet you know that that I had done a lot of research for to to try to find yeah yeah that 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 warranted an honest response from me yeah well we pride ourselves on that so I'm I'm thankful that you saw that because I um you know that's we working in paranormal television is uh it's hard to maintain your integrity with with such a with such a, a profession but like adam and i have been determined uh since day one to always be on the level and really like give it our all and um because we know other investigators out there want to see that and want to do that and so um so thank you I, I i really appreciate that that means a lot so um so on that note if people do want to visit the jail and experience these things for themselves like what do they have to do <laughs> well they have to show up um, yeah, pretty much <laughs> the old st john's county jail is now a living history museum in st augustine florida um you can go to trolleytours.com to find out more about that and the the paranormal investigation as well as well as uh all of the other uh things that we do in seven cities uh seven historic locations throughout the united states um but but we're invested in telling the stories and if you want to find out more about that and and come and see it for yourself then then either show up uh and 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 you'll be welcomed and arrested properly or mm. or go check us out online and and uh see about planning your next trip yeah well um everyone i've met there has been wonderful i love all of your uh your tour guides and employees they're fully vested um, they do great work, and we always have a blast when we go there. Charlotte still brings it up today that you gave her a private tour, and she was so thrilled. So <laughs> I love that. So, well, thank you so much, Stephen. I super appreciate you taking the time, uh, and hopefully I'll be down there again very soon. Always a pleasure, Amy, and please look me up. I will, for sure. All right.
The Old City Jail is such a striking haunt to me. Every time I visit, I am astounded at the sound of children laughing as they bound by me, ice cream cones in hand. The building itself looms amid all the vacationers and tourists, macabre artifacts inside, including an extensive shiv collection. While I'm sure the more lively energy is welcome in a place that once harbored so much death and despair, I can't help but wonder about how much of that imprint is left. Because when the laughing children have departed and the doors close for the evening, just as the sun is beginning to set, the old city jail becomes an entirely different place. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Taylor Hagedorn and Cassandra Day Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima El-Kayali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.